Welcome to Breaking the Surface, where we break into a delicious beverage and also dive into the topic at hand. I'm one of your co-hosts, Taylor Kramer. I'm the owner and lead producer for Cold Shower Media. I'm Beth Milligan. I'm a journalist here in Traverse City. And I'm another friend. I am Anthony Weber, and I am a pastor and an ethics teacher, and I am something of a fashion icon when it comes to oversized sweaters. The point here is that we want to go beyond the talking points to get to the depths of what is happening in our world. It should also be said that this podcast is part of the Boardman Review Podcast Collective in collaboration with Cold Chart Media. The Podcast Collective aims to provide unique content curated by the Boardman Review, the creative culture and outdoor lifestyle journal of Northern Michigan. So today we are drinking a Lakeside Light from Grand Traverse Brewing Company. I picked this up. I stopped at Tilly's, which is a little um, liquor store in downtown Traverse City that I really like. They have a great selection of different brews. And I had never heard of these guys before. So it kind of caught my eye because I thought I knew everybody who was in this area. Um, but Grand Traverse Brewing Company is actually uh, Pete Bishop. So he's kind of, it sounds like a small independent producer. He has a facility over on Cass Road in Traverse City. Um, he had uh, 20 years of brewing experience. And this beer that we're drinking, the Lakeside Light, is a light, uh, kind of like a lager. It's a 4.1%, so kind of an easygoing zipper. Um, it says it's light bodied, straw colored ale that is crisp, clean and refreshing, yet soft and balanced. And it's pretty good. It's just kind of like an easy drinking beer. Yeah, that's a great way to explain it. I'm glad that you made this discovery. It may be something I revisit again as it is easy and light and may be able to have two of these. You know, there's some beers that just feel like this is the beer you drink when you're watching football. Yeah. There's another one. This is the beer you drink when it's cold outside. This feels like the beer to drink on just a hot summer day mm -hmm. when you're sitting by the water. Yep. Yeah, yeah, like you could have one or two and you wouldn't be feeling it too much. It's pretty light. And I would say for people who want to check out this company, he did have, there were a few other varietals. They had a couple of different IPAs. Sometimes the IPA is a little bitter for me. So I decided mm -hmm. to go with a light kind of lager today. But yeah, check it out. Grand Travers Brewing Company. Welcome to episode 14 of Breaking the Surface. This is Beth. I'm here with Anthony and Taylor today, and we are going to be talking about maybe a little bit of what fall is going to look like. Um, we're heading into September now. School has restarted. We've had some significant develop, developments even in the last week we've had with schools coming back, um, starting to see, you know, COVID cases, how protocols are working in the school, discussion about possibly the vaccine being available as soon as October for kids under 12. Um, so a lot of developments in that front. And then we also had a pretty major announcement last week from President Biden, an executive order that could have some pretty sweeping ramifications for mandated vaccines across the country. So we're going to just talk on some of those topics. Uh, I was interested in talking about this not only because there are timely aspects to it with Biden's order, um, but, you know, I've been following our local schools having to deal with COVID cases and protocols. It's a little bit different than last year. It feels like you would think at this point we would have it more under control and it feels more chaotic <laughs> to me this year, actually, than it mm -hmm. did last year. I think just because of the Delta variant and also because people are really kind of fed up with a lot of mandates or limits or controls. So some of the protocols that were being followed by schools last year are not being followed this year. It just feels a lot more hands-off in terms of make your own decisions about quarantining your family, make your own decisions about like how you're going to handle COVID. We're just trying to do the best we can out here mm -hmm. from both the school and a health department perspective. I've also now had my first uh, 
personal family experience with COVID in the last couple of days, which has been really scary and hard. And it's kind of brought it home for me just in a personal way. So I thought maybe to open it up, we could talk, um, we could talk about Biden's order maybe because this is going to have some pretty sweeping ramifications. So the one thing it's uh, expected to do is require private companies with more than 100 employees to mandate vaccines for their employees. So even here in Traverse City, we've got companies like Cherry Republic, Haggerty, a lot of companies that have more than 100 employees who are now sort of scrambling to figure out what this is going to mean and how they're going to handle it. Uh, it sounds like OSHA and the Department of Labor are going to be issuing some regulations in the coming weeks. It will likely be challenged in court also, so that could lead to some delays. But we can talk about some of the aspects of the order. Let me just open up and ask you guys what you thought when Biden made this announcement. Yeah, I think we had all stated on an earlier episode that we weren't we were not necessarily for federal mandates for vaccines. Now, this isn't, of course, the same thing as saying everybody has to get it. He's he's outlined this for employers with over 100 employees, and they also have the option to choose to get tested rather than to get the vaccine. But so I had stated previously, yeah, like, yeah, I'm, I'm not for federal mandates really of of any kind. I want to say at the time of saying that that was before I myself had gotten the vaccine. And before it was widely available. And I felt kind of comfortable saying that because I was like, once the vaccine's available, we're definitely going to have enough people take it, right? Like to reach that herd immunity. It didn't take long for supply to outweigh the demand for the vaccine. And so that's causing me in some ways to, to change my tune a little bit. Like I'm not overly upset at this Biden mandate. And I know that right now um, there's probably a lot of people that are saying this is an overreach and this is unconstitutional. Turns out there's nothing new under the sun. It's not <laughs> unconstitutional. Um, the question, as I was researching this, seems to be not um, does Biden or OSHA have the power to mandate these types of things, um, but do they have too much power? Mm. And so, yes, they have the power to do this, and it can be um, fought in court to some extent. But we had almost the same exact situation in the early 1900s with the smallpox vaccine. And so the, the specific case was Jacobson versus Massachusetts. There was an um, uptick in, in smallpox in 1905 in New York City. I think it was between 1901 and 1905. They mandated uh, the smallpox vaccine. And there was a gentleman who refused the vaccine. So he was fined. It was get the vaccine or be fined. And he fought that in court. He lost the case. And so it's interesting how we were dealing with similar things then and and here we are still. So I'm not um, as upset about this form of a mandate as what I thought I would have been a couple months ago, mostly because I want people to get vaccinated. <laughs> that's, that's first off. Um, but also it doesn't seem to be unconstitutional, so it's not bothering me. So I'll probably stay consistent with my more libertarian leanings. I was going to say, what does libertarian <laughs> think about this? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't uh, Mandates make me uneasy. I would much prefer that um, the private sector was incentivized to encourage vaccinations. Uh, having said that, um, if there were mandates to come down, I would prefer they be at a local level. You know, the smaller the level, uh, the more it would seem appropriate because it's easier for people to make decisions. I, I don't know. I think, Taylor, from what I've seen I agree with you. It probably would be constitutional. I suspect it would be upheld in the court in some fashion. But um, 
I, I continue to be leery of that kind of authority, even though I'm with both of you and that I would love to see a lot more people vaccinated. I would probably, it's, it's interesting to hear both of your thoughts. I would say I'm very enthusiastic <laughs> about this. And you look really happy, even as you say that. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I think, um, because, you know, it's, it's, I think mandate is like a word we need to define right now because it still allows people choice. You're just now going to have to choose whether you continue to work for a company that's under a mandate or not, or even in this case, you can get tested every week. It's probably going to be at some expense to you. I yeah. imagine if, if suddenly half the country, quarter of the country, whatever has to get tested every week because they choose not to do that. However, cost of tests are going to go up. Insurance companies are probably going to start passing those costs on to the consumer rather than continuing to eat them as they have been. Um, so I think there will be consequence and cost for not getting vaccinated. And I think that's appropriate given the public health cost of what's happening right now. And again, I'm coming from a little bit of an emotional place right now because I have three little children in my life who are now have COVID and it's scary and they didn't have any way to protect themselves. And so they needed the people around them to protect them. Um, so I don't think there's anything wrong with saying what I, I think I said in a previous episode was I would absolutely, I think oppose like physically, you know, like holding someone down or making someone right. get vaccinated but I'm not opposed to making the social cost really high of not getting vaccinated. Mm -hmm. And I have seen, you know, a lot of conservative friends or friends who are um, against getting vaccinated, who are, you know, outraged by the order. And I understand how from that perspective, it feels like a major overreach because it's really getting into a lot of areas. This wasn't part of the order, but there's been discussion also about like, not allowing people to fly if they're not vaccinated. Like there are still some even further ways they could go, but I truly believe that we're not, especially the Delta variant. Like originally we we're talking about herd immunity is 70%. Like Delta is probably more like 90%. Like we're just not going to get there unless you force the cost to be high for some people so that they choose it. Um, as long as you're not physically making them do it and they still have some choice, even if it's not a great choice, maybe you go work for a small company because you can't work for a big company anymore or whatever. I don't know. I I'm supportive of it. And I was also supportive of frankly, the tone of Biden's messaging, which was impatience. He's like, we've been patient, but we're getting upset now that people aren't getting vaccinated because it has a high social cost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I guess that we kind of all maybe hold about the same positions as what we had originally stated. I'm just smiling a lot more when I'm about mine. Right, right. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't want to say that I'm backtracking completely off when I said I wasn't in support of these mandates. I just think that so many things have changed and and the fact that now I understand it's not it's not an unconstitutional move, I think does give me a little bit of um, comfort in that, that it isn't this overreach. Whereas I was watching things like were happening in Florida with Ron DeSantis, who was trying to actively find schools that were imposing or enforcing mask mandates. And that was deemed to be illegal. And, and so I can look at that and say, that's actually bothers me a little bit more than maybe something like this because of the constitutional grounds, I guess. I, I wonder, because I, I think about this a lot too, and that, like you said, we're probably looking at 90% where you either have to be vaccinated or have the antibodies from having recovered. I'm assuming both of those would count. That is a high number that we're nowhere close to. And if we don't hit it, 
you're going to keep getting these variations because my understanding is that the variations develop in bodies without antibodies. Mm -hmm. And so the longer we go letting these variations arise, they're going to become, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not resistant to what's being offered, but just like what you see with Delta, it's already creating problems for the initial vaccine, Mm -hmm. not overwhelming it, but certainly creating problems. And there's a new variation. Is it the mu? I think it's, yeah, mu. Yeah. And around the world, you keep seeing them pop up. And so without being able to nip this in the bud in some fashion, I think this is just going to be the cycle that we're in for quite a while. And if they keep If the virus keeps creatively getting around the vaccines that we come up with, like what happens with flu vaccines, just a lot faster, Um, this this is just going to be an ongoing reality of our life. We're going to have these ebbs and flows of these hot spots where hospitals are overwhelmed. And now just ordinary people can't get the treatment they need and people are dying from things they ought not die from. These stories have been all over the news. So if you're not going to get vaccinated, there are other things you can do. That is, you can mask up, you can wash your hands, you can socially isolate, you can try to limit where you are going and things that you're doing so that you're not exposing people. But generally, nobody likes those kinds of inconveniences. So where does that leave you? I don't know. And this is where, because I prefer to stop short of the mandate, I think you see incentivization from the private sector. Insurance companies, a huge one. Mm -hmm. I think insurance companies could incentivize this quite a bit. I think we make sure we give private companies the freedom to do what they want. So if Myers says you can't come into the store unless you're vaccinated, Myers can do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I can make a choice to get vaccinated or not, which will include whether or not I get to shop at Myers. I think the more you see that type of thing pop up, I think the more it incentivizes people because they want to participate in, in things in society. Well, sometimes like you talk about carrot versus stick and sometimes it's hard to differentiate like something like that. What is a carrot and what is a stick? If Meyer is saying you cannot enter the store unless you're vaccinated, is that mean they're presenting a carrot, like get vaccinated and the carrot mm-hmm. is you get to enter our building or is it a stick saying stay out unless you're vaccinated? Uh, it seems like a good they're very similar. How about the carrot uh, where they would say you're either vaccinated or you're masked. Mm. So you get to make a choice. You want to go to Myers, I either mask up while I'm in Myers or, you know, I'm, I'm vaccinated. Okay. So now it's not punishing you for not being vaccinated, but the incentive incentivization, I think it's the right word mm-hmm. is I don't have to wear a mask because they're uncomfortable and annoying. Right. But I think you're, I see what you're saying. And I think you're right. It's like two sides of the same coin because like originally we were trying to do incentives, like come get a $50 visa card or, you know, like to go get the vaccine. Mm -hmm. And those were like going, and then we had like the lottery in Michigan and different states did different things to try to do it. Which did work for like Ohio. I thought yeah, some of the lotteries and stuff worked. It moved the needle. It wasn't like a overwhelming people stampeding to CVS to get vaccinated, but it it was, you know, it seemed encouraged. What it did encourage was like the, people who were kind of like, I was going to get around to it. Or I wasn't like too, I think now, I think the statistics are at least 75% of the country who's eligible has at least one dose of the vaccine. So we're not, you know, we're trying to get to that 90% threshold that last 25 cent percent right now, I think are the ones who are like, adamantly not, Mm -hmm. I am not doing it. There might be a few percentages in there of people who are like, okay. And those people, I just don't know if there's a carrot that's big enough. Mm-hmm. I think you have to start going to the stick. But to your point, 
you could see it either way because like, is being able to fly on a domestic airline, a carrot or a stick? Mm -hmm. Like if you're like, you're vaccinated, you get to fly. You're not, you don't, you could see that is either a punishment or incentive depending on how you're looking at it. Couldn't you potentially hit someone with a carrot? Yeah, right it across hurt. the face. Yeah. yeah, it would probably hurt. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So here's let's just step back and do um, a broader look at this because these are the things that bounce around in my head about the idea of mandating things like this. For one, some people's objection to vaccines has to do with a history of our government not always uh, <laughs> having people's best interests in mind. Like the black community. Like the black community, for one, is very concerned because they have had bad experiences with being experimented on. Okay. And so there, there is a reasonable level of concern that the government does not always have our interests in mind. And Beth, you and I talked about this in podcasts that you and I used to do together. Big Pharma doesn't always have a perfect history, far from perfect history, in fact, of having people's best interests in mind. So I feel like there has to be room to allow for legitimate question asking about something like this. Um, and now it doesn't, I happen, and you guys know this, I happen to think this vaccine is fine. I've had the vaccine um, I, I, from what I can see, my concerns about this particular, particular vaccine are very small, but I don't know that that means I get to make the decision for everyone else that their concern must also be small. I don't know their experience. So that would be one thing that I think has to stay in the conversation when it comes to mandates. The other thing is if you look at, uh, deaths and I didn't look up the stats today, but from what I remember previously, we would, we would have far more deaths of children from the flu than we have had so far from COVID. I, I believe that's mm -hmm. an accurate statement. In fact, I'm not even sure it's close. Historical trend, yes. Um, so when it comes to COVID, we have had many older people dying, but very few younger. And the flu, I don't know if it necessarily reverses, but the flu is far more deadly to, to younger kids. Do we open ourselves up for the possibility that when flu season hits hard, now we're mandating flu shots? Mm. Um, we haven't done that before. Those have always been optional. Um, depending on how bad it gets, does this begin to open Pandora's box? Like smallpox was just bad, 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 right? It was very deadly. Yeah. Um, and, and so what is the deadliness threshold, so to speak, in which we begin to do this? That, I think, uh, encapsulates my bigger concerns about governments getting involved with mandating. It's a fair question. I think it's it would be interesting to look because you're right about, I think right now at least, I mean, I've, only, I've been working on a story about this week, so I, I looked at the pediatric numbers today, so... Child cases um, are now, uh, children are now almost 29% of the reported weekly COVID-19 cases. That has been like not the case during yeah, the pandemic. Right, right. Um, so, you know, obviously early on, like you mentioned, older people, before anyone was vaccinated, it was disproportionately targeting older people. Now we have almost a third of cases are kids. We're not seeing that those are necessarily translating to hospitalizations, death or severe illness, but they're definitely getting it. And at least, and this is just anecdotal to mine, but in the case of the three kids in my family, mm -hmm. they're having symptoms, you know, mm -hmm. the throwing up fever. It's not great. Um, so I think we'd have to balance like with that flu question would be 
So Delta is, we know, highly contagious. Typically, an infected person is infecting eight to nine other people. Like that mm-hmm. is a lot for a contagious disease. The flu might be in the low single digits. And the symptoms come on fast. It doesn't gestate as long. Right. Yeah. So you're sort of like balancing. I'm infecting a lot of people with Delta. It doesn't seem to be as deadly as the flu could be or has been with kids, but it's infecting a lot more. So at a certain point, if you hit a certain number of kids, even if the death rate is smaller, it might start creeping sure. up to yep. the flu. We just haven't had enough. And we also don't know what long haul symptoms looking like in kids yet. Yeah. Yeah. That time. concerns me a lot. Me too. The long haul symptoms. Yeah. yeah. So it's, but it, 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 I think Anthony, you make a fair point. I think it raises a fair question about it. I just think at this point, man, it's so, it's so serious and frustrating. I think the thing that I'm frustrated about, like covering the first week of school back here in Michigan is that you would think, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we're 18 months into the pandemic. We would have some grasp on this. Like, okay, here we go. We kind of know we're a mask up in the classroom. We do all this stuff. And it feels like we're just regressing. We had a less serious variant last year and we had way more serious lockdown restrictions, both in schools and in the state. And then we have a much more serious variant this year. And everyone's just like, I don't want to do anything with it. I don't mm-hmm. want to mess with it. It's such a political hot potato that no one wants to do anything about it. So the schools are all over the map. And yeah. last year, the schools got mandates and it was yes. fairly easy to go, listen, it's mandate. We're going to stick with it. This year, schools are largely getting recommendations or strong recommendations and it makes it a lot harder. And then I think you add to that, you keep seeing the news stories of principals getting attacked in parking lots because mm-hmm. they yeah. made a student wear a mask or whole groups of students in Florida um, in a masked required school where I forget how many of them it was just piled into the school maskless. Mm-hmm. Like they staged a protest and it, it's escalating where there's more and more violence attached to people who are angry about it. I think that too makes schools nervous. Mm-hmm. Like if we, if we have to have someone in the school who is the one to enforce this, are we exposing them to the risk of violence? Mm-hmm. And it's terrible that you have to think of it that way. I just think it's appalling that it's come to that. But I suspect that's also a very real factor in trying to figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for myself personally, as a vaccinated person and my wife and I are trying to have to figure out, you know, when do we start putting our masks back on? And, and we've started to to do that again as we're entering grocery stores and things like that. The, the signage isn't as prevalent as what it was, you know, last year at this time. Um, but when we were having that discussion, I could feel myself just a, a, a major sense of just being tired of the whole thing where I I was frustrated because she's saying, hey. Taylor, I think you should bring a mask when we go to such and such a place. And I kind of pushed back on it a little bit. And I don't know that she understood my intention, probably because I didn't tell her. Um, (laughs) Just leave them guessing. That's what I like to do. We need to have a show about communication. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But it felt like by me having to put my mask back on after having had a great summer up here without having to wear a mask really anywhere, it felt like a a sense of defeat Mm -hmm. all over again. Like I was just like, Okay, so we're back to this. I did what I was supposed to. And I say that in quotes as someone that got the vaccine. I did what I was supposed to. I was contributing to the common good. And here I am having to put my mask back on to do this whole thing all over again. I'm really, really tired of it. And now I think we have this combination of people who we would say were contributing to the common good the entire time wearing masks uh, when they were asked and, and getting vaccinated, whatever. Um are tired along with all the same people that are 
not maybe participating in those same things, but are also just tired of being told what to do, mm-hmm. even if they're not following the rules. Yeah. And it's, I think the problem, I think Anthony made a good point, which is that if you don't have state or federal mandates in place, which is part of the reason I'm supportive Biden do this, because I think he recognized the states are all over the map. And unless the federal government does something, it's not going to get addressed. And I think somewhat maybe because of Afghanistan and other things going on, I think he's really looking to define his presidency by getting this pandemic under control. I think that's one of the metrics of success that he's shooting for. Um, and I don't see that as being a callous, you know, political goal it might have a political advantage, but we would all like to get the pandemic under control. So I think he thinks it's important. And I think that's why he is doing it. But without the state mandates right now, we'll see how effective Biden's order is and how much court a challenge it has to go through. But without that, then yes, everyone's making their own decision. And the schools then are making decisions for a host of reasons that aren't always necessarily just about student teacher health. I think I give most student or most schools credit for caring about that. I do think educators for the most part are coming from a place of sincerely trying to do the right thing. And it's not clear what the right thing is to do in each situation. And they've got parents on both sides screaming at them. Um, so I really feel for anyone in the educational sector right now, but without a mandate I've, and I've, and I've interviewed superintendents, several of them just this week, they are kind of all over the map. You know, some of them are citing their religious reasons for not having mask mandates in the schools or not doing certain quarantine protocols because they believe either in sort of, you know, God's protection or that each family under God should be making their own health decisions. Others are just much more pragmatic about like, we're not a health department. We don't know. The health department's only recommending not enforcing. So we're going to recommend and not enforce trying to do the right thing. Um, some schools charge tuition and have found it uh, financially advantageous not to have mask mandates because now all the public school kids <laughs> who don't want to wear masks are coming over to the private schools and paying for that privilege. So I don't mean to be cynical, but there are, it is a reality that all those factors are influencing things. And to me, that just gets much more clouded and complicated than just what is straightforward, the best scientific thing that we can look at that's for the best medical advantage of our kids. There's all this politics, parents, pressure, religion coming into it as well. I'm curious what you think about that without naming any specific schools, but knowing that you have some background experience of like, what have you seen or what do you think, Anthony? Yeah. um, It was easier when there was mandates. Yeah, sure. (laughs) And when there is man, when there are mandates, Parents might be unhappy, but generally they understand there's a lot of pressure. Um, Sure, let's just do this. When there are only recommendations or strong recommendations, I would say it it wouldn't surprise me if you would have about an equal faction in schools far on what I would call, let's just go left or right for the sake of ease. Same percentage of people who feel super strongly that you ought to wear zero mask and not worry about anything. And those who think we ought to be doing every precaution possible. Then in between, you have a vast range of people who have opinions, but at the end of the day, want their kids to be in school and want sports to go on and all that kind of stuff. So they're going to, they'll roll with it. And now with it being a recommendation, schools have to weigh in the balance, which of the more extreme views on each side is, um, how do I say it? Not, 
carry the most weight? Yeah, or? carry the most weight. Because I don't want to say cater to, because I don't think that's the right terminology, but which one carries the most weight? And often it is really hard to figure that out. Um, it, it feels like when there are recommendations, there is no path forward that is a good path. <laughs> mm-hmm. When there were mandates, that was the path. And it took away a lot of the messiness. So I, I think. Would that bring you around to mandates at all? Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, but not for a virus, not for a vaccine. Okay. Uh, not for injecting something into your body okay. would probably be the distinction I would make there. Like mass and yeah, yeah. lesser protocols. Yeah, that, that's a great point. My thing about vaccines is, is injecting something into your body. Mm-hmm. That concerns me when it comes to things like masks and social distancing and things like that. I think that's a different animal. Can I also just, again, continue to clean up my position, which is <laughs> there, there is the option in Biden's mandate to also opt for testing. Yeah. And that is a huge deal. And that carries a lot of weight with me in the position that I hold. I would feel a little bit more nervous if there wasn't that, that option to instead have testing. Now, of course, employers are going to get to decide if they want to do that or not. And I, I'm sure it'll impact employment numbers and even probably incoming people that might get hired. Like if you're going to have to disclose if you were vaccinated or not, uh, you know, are you more likely to hire someone that, that is vaccinated? Cause they'll be able to show up for work. And so I'm going to make a prediction about what more conservative companies are going to do. Mm. Um, something similar to what companies did. I believe it was after Obamacare was passed where if you're, if you had a certain number of employees, you had to offer some things I might be getting this confused with something else. What companies did was they simply fragmented within the company and created, like if you had 100 employees, you created five things that had 20 employees, just like that, Mm -hmm. you were scot-free. I think you'll see um, companies whose ownership as opposed to the mandate become creative in, fragmenting is not the right word, but breaking their employees down into smaller groups that are under 100 so that they can avoid it. Yeah. I, I know uh, someone who's an executive director for like a national organization, and then they're broken up into different chapters. And so he, he's an executive director of one of those chapters and his chapter doesn't have over a hundred employees. Mm-hmm. Now, if you looked nationally, they would. Um, but so he was, he was thinking like, well, kind of relieved. He's not going to have to put these mandates and enforce it on his staff because he only has a certain number of employees. But at the same time, as a person in leadership, he's like, I, just last week had someone who had to quarantine for two weeks paid uh, because they were, they had been exposed and I'm expected to just continue that, that each time, because they chose not to get vaccinated, Mm -hmm. the employee, each time they have an exposure, depending on what the rules are at the time, they're going to have to take, be out of the office or not be seeing clients. And that's on the dime of that of that chapter. And so it, it, it poses a lot of issues. That's where I like having that kind of decision-making power in the hands of those businesses and those employers. I, I feel like in our nation, part of our history is we want people to be able to have the freedom uh, to have ownership of the things that they own. So someone who owns a company, if they decide I cannot afford this, you need to be vaccinated. I would fully support that. Mm. It's, it's the government level where I start to get nervous. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just, I mean, this is like an age old argument. I'm not saying anything new here, but like this idea that it's not just like, obviously yourself that 
you impact when you choose not to get vaccinated and it's, it's the social cost. So it's a cost to the company. And to me, like we've seen it in the hospitals where they've had to start triaging and it's become a real ethical question of, you know, they just simply some in some hospitals, not all, but in some hospitals, they simply don't have enough ICU units and they'll start to, let's say, treat vaccinated people over unvaccinated people, which has caused a lot of outrage in some circles. But it's not a punitive measure. It's literally who has the best chance to survive. And I kind of feel like that is part of the choice of not getting vaccinated is like if you're going to end up with a higher percentage likelihood that you're going to be sick and your employer's going to have to pay you time off while you're gone or you're going to take up a hospital bed where someone you know, else who might have a better chance of survival needs that. You mentioned there have already been cases of people who had like heart attacks or strokes or the diseases could not find a hospital, get treated, have died of a treatable disease Mm -hmm. while COVID units are full. I find that difficult to swallow. And it's, I don't have like a sense of malice where I'm like, I think we talked before on a show where I was being a little bit emotional and saying, yeah, my darkest days, I'm like, well, that's your choice. Then you die. Like you're at high risk. I don't think, I don't want to think callously about people that way, but there should be, again, I think costs to not getting vaccinated because there are costs in real life to other people and to companies and hospitals. So I'm going to give a story that's also close to home. My first cousin has a son who had, has had brain tumor issues for a number of years. It's been quite serious and he has like a, a stent or something in his brain that drains fluid in some fashion. A week or two ago, um, they needed to take him into the ER because it was clear that something wasn't working right. And this was a this was a situation that could have led to his death. And they got to the ER and they waited and waited and waited. Finally got in, finally got the procedure done, but the parents were pretty nervous because he could have died. And it was a fairly simple thing to do once they got in. Mm -hmm. And the reason they waited is because the hospital was overwhelmed with COVID patients. And let me tell you, my cousin's wife posted some opinions on Facebook fairly gently, (laughs) but let it be known that this is what happens. And I, so I feel like a question everybody should be asking is a very simple one. How can I contribute to slowing down or stopping this pandemic. And a key part of that is how can I contribute to keeping the hospitals from overflowing so that care is available to those who need it? I mean, I think you guys have probably seen the stories of excess deaths that have been recorded, which is a different stat than COVID deaths. It's looking at what the expected deaths were versus how many actually happened. And there are a lot of excess deaths since COVID started. And part of that assumption is people can't get the treatment they would normally need for things they shouldn't have died from, but they have. That too is part of the ripple effect. And so um, vaccines aside, though vaccines are clearly a way to address this, I I think if people aren't wrestling with the simple question of how can I contribute to slowing down or stopping the spread of this disease, that becomes an issue. I mean, we can all surely look at ways to participate in in helping out others. And even if, if someone rejects the vaccine for um, like reasons that I talked about earlier, there's other things you can do. And that's probably one of my biggest questions is, are are we actually facing an issue of just um, COVID disbelief or what's the word I'm looking for where you just don't take it seriously Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. Whereas actually if we would all just take it seriously, there's lots of ways we contribute to being helpful. With the goal of 
having eventually less government control yeah, and more yeah. individual autonomy and freedom again. I know there are a lot of people, cynical people who think this is like the government leading up to controlling every parts of our lives. I really don't think that way. First of all, I think sometimes our lives are not as interesting as we think they are. <laughs> like people aren't trying. I'm not doubting that some politics is, is based in power and control, but I really don't think like Whitmer or Biden or Trump or anyone is like, I'm secretly trying to use this pandemic so that I can record all of your conversations and monitor. Like, it's just like, no one has time to do that or follow them and cares what you do with your cats all day. Um, so it's <laughs> yes, just, they do. <laughs> hey, Taylor has a cat and I want to defend him. <laughs> I think like in the last probably a few minutes here, I wanted to ask you both about, I guess, just how this ties in to your faith, because Anthony asked what I think is a really important question there. And it's kind of a recurring theme in other episodes and other topics, whether it was climate change, whatever else, which is just like, what can I do? What should I do as an individual to help make the situation better? And I, I do feel right now, I think a lot of the COVID denial Anthony is talking about seems to be coming from people who have not had first an experience with it, because when it does affect your family, it's very scary <laughs> and it does feel a lot more real. Um, and we've also seen so many stories of unvaccinated people who got hospitalized and posted videos, you know, being scared of dying and asking people to get vaccinated and wishing they had done it. Um, so I think one is just a separation of reality, but from the Christian perspective, I have to say that I am so frustrated by how I see a lot of, lot of Christians, not all Christians reacting. Like when I talk to schools and religious schools are saying sort of like, we sort of think it's up to the families to make these decisions. Like whatever you feel is best for you, which seems the opposite of the Christian message to me. And I was joking with my sister about this. Like what if Christ was just like, um, I don't feel like crucifixion is best for me today. Like I'm not really feeling that as a self-care move for me today. So like, I'm not going to do that. Like, I don't know. The Christian faith seems do it to others. It. What is best for you. Yeah. <laughs> and also like these same schools, you know, still mandate, you know, um, uniform and, and other kind of mandates for kids. So it's not all about what they want. But also like churches being so reluctant to have COVID protocols, so many Christians believing that somehow wearing masks or getting vaccinated is like a compromise of their faith in some way. And I just want that group to be like leading the way and setting an example for the community and being like, you know what, even if I don't love wearing masks, I'm going to do it because I'm caring for you as a neighbor. I don't see them stepping up to the plate. I wish they were doing that more. I'm just curious what you guys think. Is our time up, Taylor? <laughs> Actually, I have one minute left. <laughs> Actually, Beth, I would love for us to maybe do our next show to talk about some of those things. Sure. Um, the, there's a variety of things at play there. Um, I, I'll just tell you one thing I think of it for myself is oh, I, I'm asking how can I participate with the community in this moment of national trauma, let's call it. And so there are a variety of ways that I can contribute. I mean, one of them is you can get the vaccine, but also like Taylor, you mentioned going into stores where they're increasingly asking for masks or maybe the staff is all masked, but they're not necessarily asking patrons. Okay. Um, whether I think the mask works or not, wearing one participates in something my community is trying to do and creates a sense of unity and camaraderie. At least that's the way that I think of it. And a number of other aspects of that, I'm, I'm kind of trying to think of how do I posture myself such that it is clear that I'm for the community. 
And I know the concerns for some people are masks don't make a difference. All these things. We're just kidding ourselves. Uh, Okay. Even if that's true, I I don't think it is, but even if it is true, what would be wrong with me wanting to send a message that I am with you to everyone around me? Um, And so for myself, um, that that's kind of what guides a lot of how I'm thinking about is I, I want to send messages that like, I see you and we're in this together. And at the end of the day, if I find out that all of them were completely ineffective, I don't think I'll second guess trying to live out a desire to create camaraderie in a difficult time. I'm, I'm pretty much uh, right there. I did an episode on my show, the cold shower podcast, please like subscribe and rate. It's a great podcast. Um, <laughs> and I was just talking about how I felt my faith was driving me to just contribute to a welcoming environment. And so that welcoming environment, <clears throat> excuse me, might be, um, oh, this grocery store is not requiring masks. However, I had to brush shoulders with a few elderly people in that aisle and they were wearing masks and I have no idea what their um, health situation is, who they might have at home, um, what their fear is like, fear level is like on a daily basis. And so if I can cut down a little bit of the fear that they might have of crossing paths with me, I'll put a stupid mask on. Um, And the vaccine to me was just all the better where I could not only protect myself, but could even more actively participate in creating a welcoming environment for people. Because like I said, in my episode, even unvaccinated people, um, whether they would like to admit it or not are benefiting from me being vaccinated. Yeah. And just having that sense, like you said, the sense of camaraderie, like, do you want as a Christian, when you come in a store, like a beleaguered staff member, who's just been exhausted and screamed at for 18 months to see you and be like, great. One more person who doesn't care. One more person doesn't get me or like to feel like Anthony kind of said, like a sense of compassion and respect. Even if you personally are like, I don't really think this cloth is doing much. It's like, that's what I'm missing is from a lot of people. It's not just Christians, but I single Christians out because I want them to be better. And I know they can be, <laughs> but let's say that maybe that's just the, the way to end for all of us as we've done a lot of shows is just like, think about what you can do to make the situation better. And sometimes that's just communicating visually verbally compassion for other people. I'd love for us to do a follow-up on this, I think. Yeah, let's do it. I too would love that. 